Hey, 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 everyone. Fraser Brooks here with the Network Marketing Ninja Podcast, episode 114. And today I have a very special someone um, who I'm going to be interviewing. We're going to have a chat, a, an, an informal, casual conversation about all things network marketing. But this guy was there the day I was born. He was with my dad when my mom went into labor. He met me probably three or four days after I was born. I've had numerous occasions where I've been sat on his lap uh, because he was one of the original upline, 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 upline of my dad uh, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, he's had a very successful career inside the network marketing profession. One of the top network marketers of all time. If there was ever to be a study or a poll created, uh, his name would definitely, definitely, definitely be in the mix. Uh, he has been mentored by some of the most incredible people, but more importantly, he mentors hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, inside of his organization, outside of his organization. He's got an incredible book that I actually read on my honeymoon called Leave Nothing to Chance. So make sure you make a note of that. Some great principles. Principle nine is my favorite. So once you've read it, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. So Mr. Solider, I'm going to call you after you telling me that story off air before. Mr. John Solider, how are you doing, mate? I am terrific. It is my honor to uh, be here and to be with you and, and the incredible success and legacy that uh, you're creating and continuing some of what your dad did uh, over the years. And uh, it's, just, it's just an honor to be here. Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the mentorship that you've passed on to my father, who's then passed it on to me. And we were saying on the podcast episode we did on your uh, on your podcast um, that I, we believe that it's not just it's not just residual income, but it's residual impact as well. You know, you teach some, you teach someone, you teach one thing to someone once, and then they teach it to people and people and people and people and people. It's a residual effect. So maybe let's take us back because I, know, I think you got started in the industry in 1983. 1983, when you were three years old, you joined this awesome profession of network marketing. Maybe you could share the story about how, how you got started, why you got started, and, and what kept you in the game all this time. Wow. Well, 1983 is a long time ago, needless to say. But um, I, was a, I was in college. I was uh, at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. And April 18th, 1983 changed my life. Uh, a friend of mine, a guy who I had wrestled with uh, in high school, a guy named Tommy Husted, uh, came into the health club where I was working part-time selling health club memberships. And he shared with me uh, a little bit about the company that he was with. And he said, listen, for $32, you can get started. Well, the bad part was I didn't really have $32 in my checking account. I probably had about $3. And I said to him, listen, Tom, we're friends. And this sounds great. And it was a nutrition company that he was with. And um, he said, uh, um, you know, I'll hold your check for a couple of days. I said, well, okay, great. I said, you know, I'll get started. So I got this box of stuff, right? I had no idea what the products did. He didn't really tell me anything outside. I can get started. And, and Tom was a guy I respected. He was a great wrestler and, and smart guy. He graduated from Lehigh University uh, a couple of years before that. And uh, because it was him, I bought him more than I did the company or the products. And I, I by the way, I knew nothing about network marketing, direct selling, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Mary Kay was around, Amway was around, Shackley was around, a couple other companies. Uh, but I was, you know, I was young, number one, and number two, you know, nobody I knew was talking about those things. We were talking about other things, wrestling, girls, you know, all that kind of stuff. So 
Anyway, lo and behold, I said, okay, great, I'll get started. And I did. That was April 18th, 1983. May 18th, 1983, one month later, I graduated from university. Okay. And I went there for my commencement. It was an interesting story because my, my father was, was a, uh, a trade unionist, very, very uh, heavy in recruiting uh, for the uh, union movement. Uh, he was a union electrician. Grandfather had been a business agent in that, that business. So I was raised with uh, very, very, very bad images of business people. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, the wrong image. And Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States at the time, and he was going to be our commencement speaker. And Reagan was a guy that I, at that time, did not have respect for because he had actually broken the air traffic controllers union, uh, essentially, with some of the actions that he had taken. And at one time, he was a union guy who had switched over to the Republican Party. And uh, long story short, um, kind of went against unions and, and the labor movement to some degree conceptually, or so I thought. And I said to my father, I said, I'm not even going to go. They can mail me my degree. He goes, no. He, and and this, is, this is the kind of good thinking from back then. He said, even though we don't like him, we respect the office of the president. You need to go. And you worked hard for your degree. And by the way, you owe a lot of money, so you might as well go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, old school logic, right? Not, not, not much different than Simon Brooks type of logic, I'm sure, in your life. <laughs> you know? So anyway, so... Um, you know, I went and, and I went and I don't know if you can see this or not. Let me shift my camera. I went with my arms folded. I went with the idea. I'm not going to listen to a darn thing this guy has to say. OK, what Mark Hughes used to call all the answers and no money. Right. That was that was me. And I sat in the back of my chair when Reagan was introduced. And what happened that day was so eye-opening. I call it a um, Saul of Tarsus moment, you know, where I'm kind of riding on my horse and I get hit in the head and my life changes. Reagan spoke about some very basic concepts, including things like mentorship. And I'm thinking, hmm, I'm getting mentored the last 30 days. I've been mentored in this company that I had joined, right? I started to learn some things from my upline uh, and from the company. And um, I'm like, this is, this is very interesting. And then, of course, um, he talked about the free enterprise system. And how it frees people. I thought, wow. Now, keep in mind that time frame, we're talking about the fall of the old Soviet Union and, you know, all of that. So I'm thinking, wow, okay, I get where this guy's coming from. I kind of like him. And then he shared one really interesting story that he graduated college in 1932, height of the Depression, went back home to uh, Illinois, where, where he was living at the time. And um, maybe in Iowa, Illinois or Iowa, one of them. And he worked as a lifeguard in a swimming hole. And there was a successful business guy who told him Dutch, they used to call him Dutch was his nickname. Dutch, what you need to do is you need to find somebody to mentor you in what you're interested in. And I was like, mm, wow, this guy's speaking to me. And he had that ability, Fraser, to speak, even though there were 10,000 people there between media, students, parents, secret service, everybody, right? The president's speaking. He had that ability where he was talking like you and I are right now. Okay. He was, he's way up on the stage and he's talking, I'm going, Hey, wait a minute. This guy's speaking to me. I'm hearing what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I was on the edge of my chair and I probably was the first person out of my chair when he was finished speaking. It changed my life, changed my politics, changed my thinking about free enterprise, capitalism. And I went from being a, almost an avowed socialist to being a very free market enterprise type of guy that day. Now, fast forward. About 30 days, I don't know the specific date, but about 30 days, 
Tommy Houston says to me, uh, as well as, as uh, Mark Zuckerbrod, who is his, his upline, still a good friend of mine. Your dad knows him as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just interviewed Mark the other day, actually, a good friend of mine still. Anyway, um, uh, Mark and Tom said, hey, there's a meeting in Hartford, Connecticut you need to go to, about four hours from where I lived at the time. And um, we wound up packing a car full of people that I had recruited to go to this meeting in Hartford. And who, of course, is the speaker? is a guy named Larry Thompson. And Larry comes out and, and, you know, Larry is just, you know, he is like fire and brimstone. He's like a Southern preacher. He comes out and he says one thing that gets me to this day. And I can recite it in my sleep. And that was something that he had learned from Mr. Rome. That was for things to change, you have to change. And for things to get better, you have to get better. And see, nobody had ever talked to John Solider that way. I always thought it was the economy. I always thought it was who the president was that affected me at that young age. I didn't realize that what I did could have an impact not only on myself, but on other people. And when, when Thompson said that, it grabbed me in such a way that it kind of became my, my, my mantra that I started to sell myself on every single day that, you know, if it was to be, it was up to me. I, I had an impact in it. And that's kind of really where my career started. And that's the day I fell in love with network marketing. That's the day that I really saw the business as more than just a way to make money, which, which I had seen at the first 60 days. It was like, okay. And I, by the way, I made some money. I made $3,900 my first 60 days in the business, which 1983 was a lot of money. And that was mostly retail. I mostly sold product. I recruited a few people, but for the most part, I was, I was just pitching product. I lost weight on the product. I felt great in my workouts. And, you know, one thing led to another. And before I knew it, you know, I was a network marketer. That's in, so that's unbelievable. And obviously, I, I know I know the success that you've had in 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 in, in the, along the journey you've had, and and now you you lead a team of a staggering staggering number. You could fill stadiums multiple 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 times, the big stadiums as well, on tens of Super Bowls, right? Um, so what I would ask you then is, what kept you in the game? Because a lot of people. They, they talk about, oh, residual income, residual income, residual income. You know, you, you see people move at events or presentations when they start to explain the residual income idea and they're like on the edge of their seat, like you were when Reagan was speaking. They're like, oh, I, I would like, I would like to, to get a piece of that residual income. You, you, so you've reached the point where if you stop working, chances are you'll get a piece, a hefty piece of that residual income, yet you're still working. What's kept you, what's kept you in the game? And instead of retiring, you are, you're living like how, how, how is that? How has that come about? Why haven't you quit? Or you, well, I, I, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, I love people mm. to, to me to see people grow is almost consistent with building a, 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 building. You know, if you watch a building be built from, you know, the, the time that they laid a foundation till the finished product, I see the same thing in human beings, that they can grow. Sometimes they don't know that they could grow. I didn't know in 1983 that I could grow. And when I heard Reagan and then I heard Larry, it was kind of like that combination of, of things got to my brain where I said, hey, wait a minute, I can, I can do more than my dad did. I could do more than my granddad did. I could have a different career. I could go around the world and I can have an impact on people. And oh, by the way, I get all the experiences of going around the world, which I wanted to travel. But what's kept me going is the people, honestly, to see people grow, to see people become what the good Lord intended them to become. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean just necessarily financially successful. It means all that comes with it, that they can give back to their community, to their church, to their synagogue, to their mosque, to their little league field, whatever it happens to be that they're passionate about, that they can help other people with some of the skill sets that I've been blessed to learn over the years through a lot of hard work, through a lot of mentorship, through a lot of reading, through a lot of work, frankly, on myself that I can hopefully have that impact on other people. So to me, it's kind of like a ministry of giving back, giving back, giving back everything that I've been given because it changed my life. I easily could have wound up a casualty. Okay. Uh, where my life was, uh, as a young guy, I could have easily been a casualty. I could have easily been an alcoholic. I could have easily done some very detrimental things to myself. Instead, I had the impact of all this information at such a young age. And I said, I got to continue to give it till the day that, uh, till the day they closed the box on me, you know, I'm going to be that guy uh, on the way to the funeral. I'm going to still go, Oh, I got one more call. Hold on. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's me. I I love, and obviously we were sharing on your podcast episode, we were talking about social media and I was obviously discussing how I love the fundamentals. Obviously you've had, you know, network marketing evolves and over a, a over a an almost 40 year career, it's inevitable that you you change homes, right? You, you kind of like, you know, you do you do different things uh, and all that fun stuff. But you've reached the top of pretty much everything you've done in your life, whether it's been wrestling or I know you were in the insurance game and you've been in network marketing as well. What are the fundamentals or like the principles that you would advise to people who you, you mentor? to give them the best chance of success in network marketing? Number one is to care more about your downline than yourself. Okay. Hmm. To be selfless rather than selfish. If you take care of the people in your organization, whether that means that you do, you know, right now, conference calls, Zoom calls, three-way calls, et cetera, with them, that you're there for them, not only to mentor them, but to help them every step of the way, that you lock arms with them, that you basically are there as their support system. And by the way, that support system sometimes is not a network marketing support system. Mm-hmm. It's to know what's going on in their lives. People will confide in you different things that are happening in their, their personal life, whether it's a marital problem, whether it's a kid problem, whether it's a health problem, right? Um, and, and where they're at, and you say, well, wait a minute, how can I abandon them? Because I got mine, I can't walk away, I need to continue to, to help them and to be selfless in the process. I think that's number one. Um, I shared earlier, I've never looked at my genealogy. It's crazy. Okay. And I, I know people say, well, that, that, that's insane. A perfect example, your dad started out in the UK, I think your dad was my ninth level. But I recognized this, this, this brilliantly talented guy that I said, well, I can work with this guy. And I liked him on, on top of it. I liked your mom. But, you know, that's part of it, too. Obviously, you want to work with people that you like. But I didn't care. Eighth, ninth, oh, so what? The guy's a leader. I'm going to work with him. Right. And that's a mistake a lot of network marketing people do. They go, well, wait a minute. I've got this guy in my downline, but I don't get paid on him. Or he's deep. Who cares? Who cares? Develop talent. Develop skill. Because there's an abundance of people on the planet that need what you've got in network marketing. They need opportunity now more than ever, perhaps with what's happened with this pandemic. So that's, that's number one, I, I would say. Number two is to continue to work on your self-development. Okay. I continue every single day to read, listen to podcasts, listen to information and a variety of different stuff. I don't just listen to network marketing stuff. Uh, I, li- I listen to all sorts of stuff that motivates me. Okay. Um, and 
it motivates me in my business, but more importantly, it motivates me in the totality of my life. It, it, it motivates me in terms of taking care of my health, for example. I'm, I'm, I've become a, a health nut the last four and a half years of my life, changed my diet radically, lost weight. I'm constantly listening to things about exercise and physiology and, and, and nutrition constantly, okay? Um, so, it, you know, that's is it, just- is it, is it an obsession? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in obsession and dedication will will pay off. Um, you know, I, I look at it like there's this abundance of knowledge out there and I'm never going to get it all in one lifetime. Right. But I'm going to get as much of it as I possibly can each and every day to feed my mind. You know, uh, Benjamin Franklin said uh, many years ago that, uh, you know, if you feed your mind, your mind will feed your pocketbook. <laughs> and... I, I, I am a firm believer in that principle that, you know, your mind is going to feed your pocketbook. So I listen to all sorts of different stuff. I read all sorts of different stuff. Um, you know, you come to my house, you're going to find anywhere between five to seven books that I'm reading at one time. And I may never get through them all <laughs> at the same time, but it's like, well, I need a chapter of this, or I need a verse of this. And, and, and I don't mind saying too, by the way, I'm, I'm a strong Christian. You know, I start the day in my Bible every day. About 15 minutes. I'm not there for hours, honestly. About 15 minutes. And it was amazing with that book of all books. When I pick it up, I can, I just pick it up and I go, okay, where am I? And I read something that I go, wow, that just had an impact on me today. And it might be timely and relate to something in my business, my family, my health. It, it, it's an amazing abundance that's in that book, you know, once again. So, so let's say you are in a plane and you have no idea where it's going, all of a sudden someone says, listen, you got to jump. You don't know where you are and you land in the Maldives, right? Mm. We, he asked, John asked me this question on his podcast, so I'm going to ask it the same one to him. And someone says, listen, I'm packed. I'm going to pack three books. We've got a whole library behind me. I'm going to pack three books uh, in, in your bag before you jump out the plane. What are the three books that you would like to be stuck on an island with? Okay. In, in addition to the Bible, because I don't count that in self-development. Yeah. I do, but I don't. But let's, let's talk three books of authors. Uh, the very first book would be As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Short, but sweet to the point. Um, and once again, it talks about, you know, one of the universal principles that we all believe in, right? You attract what you are. Okay. And short book. Um, secondly is, uh, uh, the science of getting rich by Wallace T. Waddles, yeah. which was the forerunner of Dr. Hill's book, think and grow rich, right? Yeah. Uh, you got to read Waddles or you can listen to Waddles for that matter. Um, you got to read that because it's going to help think and grow rich, make, make, make that much more sense. Okay. Uh, and I would count those two books as one because there's so many correlations between them. Uh, and then the, the third one is the power of positive thinking. Okay. And the power of positive thinking is, is uh, by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, by the way, it was the first book I ever read on self-development. And ironically, Fraser, it was at a point where I was in the hospital. I had double spinal cord surgery when I was 17 years old. Uh, result of a fo football injury. Turned out I was born with this, this particular disease called spondylolisthesis. And I was in the hospital 
And my dad was a, uh, a proud member of an anonymous organization most people are aware of called AA. I can say that he's deceased. He wouldn't mind me sharing it anyway because it changed his life. And he came to the hospital and he said, look, you know, I got nothing to do. I'm laying in a hospital bed. I'm 17. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm depressed. And he hands me that book. And it's still on my bookshelf behind me here. Um, and that book changed my life. And when I got out of the hospital, the first thing I did when I could walk, okay, it took me almost six months to be able to walk on my own, was I said, we're going to go and we're going to hear Dr. Peel preach, which we did in New York That's City. Awesome. And, and I met him. I got to shake his hand. And there were no iPhones at that oh, time. Wow. So I don't have any pictures, but I remember meeting him. And he was just a, he was an old man at that point. But, you know, he had a very simple thing in that book above all else. He said, you think you have problems? Go down to the local funeral home or nursing home. And once again, you'll put everything else in perspective after that. And that, that, that's, you know, once again, it's one of those things that stuck with me all these years later as a principal. That it's incredible. And, and you were, and by the way, guys, for those of you who are listening, you won't be able to see what I'm doing. If you're watching, you will. I'm taking notes on all of this. Uh, and the reason is, is because I, I'm a great believer in a short pencil is better than a long memory. Uh, I've always taken notes on things. Do I always review my notes? I'm not going to lie. No, I don't. Not all the time. When I need to look for the answer, I'll go find them. But do I sit there and review my notes? Not, not all the time. You can do that. It's just not something that I do. But you were sharing on the subject of uh, self-development, you were sharing with me offline that you had uh, a face-to-face, face-to-face meeting with the Lord of personal development that some might, some might say is Mr. Jim Rohn, or sorry, Mr. Rohn. Um, can, you share, can you share with us, before we move on to some more of the fundamentals, how that, how that kind of meeting came about and what was the big lesson that you got from, from Mr. Rohn? You know, my, my one corporate experience was here in Dallas in the mid-90s. I joined a company that a, a friend of mine uh, had started. It was a very small company at that time, eventually became very successful. Uh, and I, I joined it first as a consultant, and then uh, I was the sales director uh, for it for a couple of years and kind of put things in motion and it became a very successful company. But that company, uh, the uh, guy who started it, okay, was a guy named Charlie Regis. And Charlie had hired uh, Ron Reynolds and Ron Reynolds had worked for Jim Rohn at one time. And it even helped him with putting together the seasons of life Ron's referenced in the book. I think he wrote the forward, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I was a big fan of the seasons of life and a big fan of Jim Rohn because who isn't, I mean, if you're in any business, you got to listen to Jim for that matter. If you're not in business, you better listen to Jim because oh, yeah. his philosophies, his philosophies go way beyond business uh, life principles and uh, God bless him. Jim was a, a great man. But um, all that said, I come into the office and uh, Ron says to me, would you like to have lunch with Jim? And I said, Jim, who? I'm thinking it's a prospect for our business, right? Like, you know, does he have a last name? You know, Jim Jones, Jim Smith, Jim, you know, whatever. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, Jim Rohn. Now, remember, he had worked together. They were personal friends, right? I'm like, yeah, and I'm in my, my early 30s at that time. And I'm like, I'm going to have an opportunity to have lunch with Jim Rohn. Wow. Sounds like Jim. Wow. He said, wow, to a lot of stuff. I say, wow, to a lot of stuff. I got that from him, I think. But uh, anyway. You can say it backwards. We, well, it's great. Yeah, that's right. It works both ways. <laughs> right. So we go to lunch and we're sitting there. And uh, Jim was a big fan of cigars. 
And so we finished lunch and this was in a day when you could smoke a cigar. And I'm not proud to admit I smoked a cigar. My kids probably shouldn't hear that. But at the end of the day, hey, when in Rome, like Jim used to say, you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're here, you do this. If you're in Cuba, you smoke a cigar with Castro. If you're in, you know, I remember all, all those things Jim went through. So I'm like, well, what the heck? I'm here. I'll smoke a stogie. I'm not going to inhale it anyway. Those guys are puffing away. So I'm, I'm getting the secondhand smoke. So anyway, so we, we light up these, uh, I think they were Cohiba cigars, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So we, we light up the Cohibas and we're sitting there talking. And Jim says, uh, Mr. Roan says, because I always called him Mr. Roan, honestly. I, to this day, I pretty much call him Mr. Roan, even though he's been dead a number of years. Mm -hmm. I had such respect for him. And it's not even a respect thing. It was just that time. You called people Mr. Yeah. out of respect. And um, anyway, so we're sitting there and Jim, Jim got on a roll. Jim got on a roll. And Jim looks at me and he looks at the two other guys who were, you know, 20 plus years older than I was at the time. And anyway, he looks at us and he says, um, Mr. Soliner? Yes, sir. He says, uh, these two guys are not salvageable. Hmm. Wow. That's a, that's, I'm not sure where we're going with this, but he says, these two guys are not salvageable. He says, he says, because neither one of them is taking notes. He says, where is your journal? And I am not a fast runner, needless to say, I'm a big guy. I must've ran like Usain Bolt to my car. And I said, Oh, I knew where he was going. Oh. And I grabbed my journal. And we were religious about journals in that company, by the way, we, we wrote everything down. But for whatever reason, we thought, hey, we're having a casual lunch with a friend, you know, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Mr. Rohn doesn't see this as lunch with friends. Mr. Rohn sees this as an opportunity to teach some of the philosophy to people. And he doesn't know me. I don't really know him. I only know him by extension. <clears throat> so I went and I got my journal and I took my notes and I have them to this day. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty good taking notes before that, but I became religious about taking notes. And to this day, like yourself, okay, I'm going to diarize everything. Never trust your memory because you don't know when that great idea is going to come. Right. You don't know when what I call the Saul Tarsus moment. OK, it's going to hit you in the head and have an impact on your life in a dramatic, positive way. You have no idea when that's going to happen. It could happen at a lunch with Jim Rohn. It could happen on an elevator. It could happen wherever. How are you going to remember it? And especially I'll be I'll be 60 years old this year. How are you going to remember when you get older and you got all of this stuff and information and all of these things going on? You're not going to remember. Write it down. Then it becomes yours. And the other thing on that. And, and, and I know Mr. Rohn would, would share this. And I know my other mentors, Larry Thompson, would share this and uh, Mark Hughes and some of the other people that, that I got mentored by in network marketing. And some of the guys I got mentored in the financial services world as well would, would share this is once you write it down, it becomes yours. Yeah. Okay. And everybody thinks, wow, how smart that guy is. Well, no, not necessarily how smart some other guy was, but it's his idea or his concept that you just shared with them that became yours and at the right moment it impacts somebody else and that to me is part of that responsibility of being able to teach the next generation not only network marketing because this is not about network marketing that just happens to be what i do for a living mm -hmm. this is about helping people with their lives this is about helping them raise better families better kids uh better, better education better ideas that are going to help the world as we go forward that's what this is really about big picture you know, network marketing just happens to be a microcosm of that because we do have a focus in our industry. And I'm glad to say this on self-development and on learning from the ones that came before us, the ones who are currently here and that next generation that we're mentoring.
And it, it's funny as well, because as marketers, because we are network marketers, we build a network of distributors to promote a product or a service and we market ourselves or we market that, that product or service. I make notes, not, I make notes for two reasons. Number one, I have the idea that I could be on my deathbed at any, at any moment, at any moment. And if someone was to come to me and say, like, let's say they were, it was Forbes magazine, right? Or it was a son, a daughter, a parent, a brother, a sister, whatever. And they were to say, what would be your top tip for me? I don't want to give them a tip. I want to say, go into my safe and you will find 10 journals. Go and read them. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't want to leave them with a tip. I want to leave them with everything that I've found value in. That's the first thing. The second thing is just by listening to what John said, I've got four or five ideas for me to do Facebook or Instagram lives on. Like I'm a marketer. I'm going to take what John's mentioned and I'm going to put my spin on it. I'm going to say, hey, I just had this great conversation with John Solider. He's, he's been a mentor to my, to my parents and therefore me for so many years. I was on his lap when I was like one, two, three, five years, like five years old, whatever. This is what I learned from a conversation. And then a year later, I could do another one, another one, another one, another one. So make notes. So John, um, I really appreciate your time. So We've got number one, fundamental one is care more about your downline than you care about yourself. I absolutely love that. I don't think people mention that enough. Number two is continue to work on self-development. What are some of the other fundamentals that you would you would give to the people listening or watching this? They can really help. Well, from a, from a practical standpoint, you got to lead from the front of the room, mm-hmm. okay? You can't lead from the back of the, uh, of the pack, so to speak. And what I mean by that is this. If every company in the industry has some sort of an incentive trip. Whatever that happens to be, you make sure that you qualify. Whether you can go or not, I mean, there's been trips I've had to you know, skip through the years as my kids have grown up and had different things, but I always make sure my name is there, that I am always qualified for the trips. Why? I can't ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. If the company says you got to sponsor X amount of people to make that trip, do it. Okay. If you got to increase volume a certain percentage, do it because people are going to do what you do. It's a, it, it, it's a, you know, monkey see monkey do business. You can't tell somebody to do something they're not willing to do. Okay. So that's something I believe in is you have to lead from the front of, of the room and I'm still doing it. I just qualified for my company's uh, incentive trip to Italy. I qualified last year for Spain. I qualified the year before for France. Next year there's one to Germany and I'm going to be there. Whether I go or not, who knows, right? You know, between pandemic and kids and schedule, I don't know if I'll go, but I want to go. I hope I go. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, I make sure my name is always there and I'm represented because what does it tell my downline that when I tell them to do something, they can't go, well, you're not doing it, John. Well, okay. You know, and, and, and that goes, that goes to my other life because I still do some coaching in sports. Right. Okay. And I can't do what I used to do physically, obviously. Right. But earlier in my life, I, I, I earned a black belt in judo. I earned a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I competed in Sambo. I competed in wrestling. I, I still compete a little bit in powerlifting. I can't tell my son who's 17, you need to go to the gym. And he goes, well, dad, you haven't been to the gym in six months. Nope. My son knows I'm at the gym pretty much six days a week doing something, whether it's lifting, walking on the treadmill. I can't really run much anymore, but I can't tell him to do something I'm not willing to do. And I can't tell some of the other young people I work with, you need to do this when they go, wait, wait, you never did that. Right. You can't be a hypocrite. You've got to lead by example, frankly. And if you do that, 
and, and one of the reasons I think I've been able to reach the top level, okay, I've reached the top level in five companies in my career. And I've been recognized twice a, as the whatever, you know, super duper distributor of the year in, in my <laughs> former company and my current company. And I think the reason for that's real simple is look, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to do what I'm going to ask you to do. I can't ask you to do something that I'm not willing or prepared to do. Okay. And I don't use the excuse of age. Well, I did it all when I was young. Mm-hmm. Athletically, I might be able to say that, but in business, there's no reason not to be productive because you got a few gray hairs. Keep producing. Next point on that, continue to sponsor new people. Now, why is that? Okay. Because you know what? It's like any new relationship. All of a sudden, you got a new friend. Now, maybe it's an old friend. Like I sponsored my sister into my current company. I'm working with my, my sister. For the first time in our lives, we have a business relationship. And, um, and yet, the people that she knows, I don't know most of them. I may know a couple of them casually, socially through the years. But she lives in a different part of the country than I do. So when I meet her contacts, just new people. And it's stimulates me because I have a new message for them. I can impact their lives, hopefully in a positive manner. I can teach them a few skill sets, perhaps that they don't have, that they can, you know, go out and turn into, you know, equity in their business, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's very, very exciting to sponsor new people. Okay. Whether they're family, friends, or total strangers, because it's new relationships and it it stimulates me. So I'm not just talking to the same guys every single day. So based on that, what is your beliefs around the whole, because there's a lot of companies or, or teams or leaders will say, you know, just recruit like 10, 20 people and then work in depth, you know, width for show, depth for dough. Like what's your opinions or beliefs on like what someone should focus on, whether it's recruiting or driving, driving the lines? Well, you know, bad answer, but I believe in both. Me too. Uh, but you know what I mean? Because like, you, you, you need the depth to really have a sustainable business. Okay. Because first thing you got to do a multi-level as a lead distributor is keep the company in business. Company needs volume to pay its bills. So nice. if there's no volume, well, all the other things that you want to happen as a distributor can't happen if the company can't function. And the company's entitled to make profit, just like we are in, in the field. So that's one issue. But second issue on that, okay, is once that your company is functional financially, okay, is to continue to bring new people to the table because you don't know who they're going to know. You don't know what their influence is going to be. My current company is very, very scientific, for example. Okay, mm-hmm. we sell a very scientifically validated product that goes back to its origins to 1975 when I was a freshman in high school. That's how long ago the research started. That's a great thing. But what happens along the way is that there's people who get involved that are influencers, whether they're, they're social media influencers or they're people in the medical world or the athletic world that lead us to other people who perhaps use or research our product. So every time I introduce somebody, I don't know who they're going to bring to the table. I don't know who they know that's going to help the company in totality. If I help my company, I help myself in essence as, as one of the lead distributors, right? So my logic is always, hey, I'm trying to build a downline. Yes, but I'm not myopic in that 
in the respect that I don't know that they're not going to bring some great researcher who takes our product and says, let me, let me, let me try it on this particular thing that I'm an expert in, mm-hmm. as an example. Or they're in the sports world, for example, and they get a lead athlete with in professional, Olympic, or whatever that that says, hey, I use that particular product. I had great results with it. That once again helps us in that community, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of my logic is always, hey, that door I knock on with that new person, I don't know what it leads to, but it leads to sometimes it leads to some really exciting stuff well there's no there's no limits on the income so why should there be no why should there be limits on the activity like exactly it's you know like i just i just i just feel very strongly about i love that you say qualify for all the incentives yourself if you expect other people to do it uh and i love these fundamentals i know there are a lot of more fundamentals and principles so guys um there's two things i want you to do First and foremost, I want you to prove to my to, to prove to me and John that you were actually listening, paying attention, and grabbing the value that you can by taking a screenshot of what's on your device right now and posting it into your Instagram stories. Tag me at Fraser Brooks Online and let me know what your big takeaway from this episode has been. Uh, maybe let me know if you've smoked a cigar or not uh, previously. John has, although his kids don't know. Uh, I have as well. Um, as I say, I just puffed a few. That's about it. Um, but the second thing is go over onto Amazon and go and buy the book, Nothing. Uh, Leave Nothing to Chance. Uh, there's more principles in there. Again, my favorite principle is number nine. You can let me know what your favorite principle is when you've got the copy of the book. It's a great book, really easy to read. There's two perspectives because it's a co-authorship between John and his, his one of his partners. So it's a great, it's a kind of a great, uh, I've never read a book like it actually. It's, it's kind of cool how it's given two angles between each principle. I really, really like that you've written it like that. Gave me some ideas for maybe the future, John, uh, future book ideas that I've got. So as we kind of wrap things up here, I've got a question for you. And guys, um, I didn't ask John, I didn't tell John like what my questions were going to be, right? So there was no preparation time. This is super casual. I do that with all, all my podcasts. It's just, we kind of just go where, where, where the kind of the, the conversation goes and flows. You've shared the stage with thousands of people. You've been at the front of the room. You've been at the back of the room. You've been arranging the event. You've been helping manage the event. You've promoted events and people have promoted events that you've done. Who has been your favorite speaker of all time? And I know there's different speakers for different reasons and there's different things that hit you, but and I, I, you know, Ronald Reagan might be one of them because of that, the, the big bingo moment. But who has been, who has been the speaker that you, you just thought, wow, uh, if I could speak like that, like, I know I'm going to blow everyone away. Wow. That, boy, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of them, but, but okay. Let's, let, let, let's, let's, let's go to one. Okay. The one would have to be, and you're going to love this with uh, being where you're from would be Sir Winston Churchill. Oh, oh, I do not believe that there was a better speaker because because he was not a polished speaker, because he was real, because you knew he wrote every word and he was the master. You know, you talk about Leave Nothing to Chance, uh, my latest book. He was a master preparer. The man would write a speech and he would drive his secretary nuts because he would, he would go over each word for an hour. But when you have to make a speech and lead people 
who you've probably met in your lifetime, okay? And I've met in my lifetime, people who grew up in the British Isles when they were being bombed nightly that were living in locomotive stations and rationed by one glass of water per day to do all their bodily functions, including consuming that as hydration, right? Just picture that for a minute. And you have to lead people in that circumstance, life and death. And the words that he would deliver under those circumstances, wow. You just have to sit back and go, wow. I mean, Jim would say, wow. And, and uh, that to me would be Churchill because you knew not only did he prepare, but he was not a polished speaker. John Kennedy was a polished speaker. I could listen to him. Martin Luther King, polished speaker. They were tremendous. Okay. And there's certainly been others, but I go back to Churchill. I still have, I bought this uh, on one of my many trips to the UK when I went to the, the underground bunker there, not too far from uh, Westminster Abbey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still listen to the CDs of, of, of his speeches because I said what he was, was not perfect in speaking, but he was so real and heartfelt that you knew every person in those underground locomotive stations that his heart went out to them. Mm -hmm. And when you and when you heard that, you said that's the impact you want to have on people. So yeah, it would be it would be Sir Winston first. I've got over thirty books on Sir Winston here in my library to give you an idea what a fan I was of his. Uh, but and it has been other greats, of course. You know, uh, you know, politics, Reagan, Kennedy. You know, Dr. King, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, for that matter. We, we yeah. talked about him a little bit before. Um, you know, great, great impacts. There's been some great people in, in so many different realms. In, in our industry, obviously, there's been a lot of great speakers. You know, Jim Rohn being the, the top of the food chain. Uh, my, my, my most um, important mentor, good friend, Larry Thompson, obviously. Uh, Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes was a great speaker. Um, wonderful man. Had, had a couple of meetings with him early on in my career that impacted me as well. What, and he was a guy too like like churchill mark was a guy you knew he you knew he believed everything he said no. you knew and he was not a perfect speaker you listen to him you know he was sometimes all over the map but what he was was real you knew he meant everything he said and delivered on it you know what i mean and that to me is more important than some guy where you go wow that guy's really got a gift to gab but he doesn't follow through on anything he's just promised, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, but yeah, my favorite of all time would be, be Winston Churchill. Well, I'm happy you said that. One of my dad's favorite quotes. Uh, if you asked him, he probably wouldn't say it, but it's the one that he's definitely said to me more than majority is never, ever give up. So four words, so simple, yet it will save a lot of people. And it saved a lot. It saved millions of people over the years. So, um, John, I appreciate you. One thing I will say is anyone who's been in the industry for more than 30 years, and there are not, there aren't that many people who have been actively in the industry for 30 years, who've been at the top of the game for 30 years, and there are not many. I am so grateful. And every single person watching and listening should be extremely grateful because the opportunity that we have is only available because of the people who have been involved in the industry for 30 plus years. Um, it wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for, for you guys. It wouldn't, the training wouldn't be there. The books wouldn't be there. The knowledge wouldn't be there. The guidance wouldn't be there. The leadership, the mentorship, everything wouldn't be there if it wasn't for people like you. So I'm going to ask everyone, I'm going to encourage everyone to go over to Amazon and buy the book, Leave Nothing to Chance. Go and learn the 15 principles of success. Again, principle nine is my absolute favorite. Go ahead and do that. Let me know what your favorite principle was after you've received the book and read the book. 
Uh, and I look forward to seeing you on another episode coming up real soon. John, thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate it. I look forward to chatting to you sometime soon. Well, thank you so much and, and, and continue good luck. And, and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing because the impact that you're having on this industry is going to go way beyond my years, certainly. And, and uh, you're having a great impact. And thank you. And you give, give my love uh, to your mom and dad as well when you speak to them. I appreciate it. I will do. I'm going to do that now. Thanks so much. Great. Great.